Thank you for tuning in to RTM Nation Online, where we believe that you will receive the abundance of peace, prosperity, security, stability, health, healing, and truth. If you would like to learn more about the ministry, click the link below. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Now let's get into the message. Family, welcome back to this journey. <laughs> the journey that we're taking to be healthier and more informed people. You know, the Bible says in Genesis 1 and 2 that God created mankind in his image and in his likeness. And then God breathed into his creation life. So we can definitely say these bodies that we live in and enjoy, those bodies came from God. However, we are the stewards of these vessels. The day-to-day -day operations and maintenance, the things that need to be done to keep this, you know, this physique operating like it should, that falls under our purview. As overseers, then, it would do us well, it would behoove us to do what's necessary to learn about all the things that help these earth suits thrive. Therefore, today, we're going to talk about the body and I mean literally. Everybody say literally. literally. Yeah, we're going to talk about this thing literally today. You had to know that in this series, we will ultimately come to a time where we would have to learn more about this thing we call a body. There had to come a time where we would need to crack open that sort of product manual on the, on the Bible and learn about some details on the body and learn about some details. So, you know that I already believe, I've said this several times, though, I believe that most people, individuals, walk this earth living in bodies that they never really take the time or effort to learn anything about or understand. I've said that over and over, but here is the sad state of affairs. I think that it's likely true. It's likely true that there are people who can explain to you things not involving their body, but couldn't tell you a lick about things dealing with their body. I believe it to the point to where I can give you these examples. It's a sad state of affairs, but most likely true, that most people know more about their mobile devices, know more about their mobile devices than their own bodies. They do not know what their kidneys do, but they know the ins and outs of their fav favorite mobile application or app. They could give you a class on every feature and convenience of their car. But if you were to ask them to explain the importance of monitoring their cholesterol level, they probably couldn't tell you, even if their life depended on it, which it might. When I go through those examples, if you chuckle at those comparisons, if you laugh, if it sounds kind of humorous, a little funny to you, the odds are that way deep down inside, the reason why you laugh, why you think it's funny, why you kind of get that little smirk on your face, is that down deep inside, 
you know that there is probably some truth to the possibility that people pay more attention, put more effort in, put more time in learning about stuff than themselves. As your pastor, though, I can't, I refuse to sit idly by and permit that type of sad state of affairs to continue without attempting to do anything about it. So I'm telling you right now, I want you to come and learn a few things with me. Allow me to invite you to a panel discussion. A panel discussion with two Wesley Chapel, Chapel family members. Two members of our family right here that know a tremendous amount about these bodies of ours. And they have volunteered to share. I'm going to ask Dr. Stephanie Talton Williamson to please come forward, please. Dr. Stephanie is a board-certified internal medicine physician with nearly 20 years' experience. I'm going to also ask Dr. Tony Bacote-Jones to come forward, please. Dr. Tony is an osteopathic physician with a specialty in anesthesiology. She has over 20 years experience in instructing others about the structure and function of the human body and currently teaches anatomy and physiology one and two at two local colleges. Welcome them for me. Now, before we get engaged, I will tell you, first of all, I asked them, I said, you know, can you, so that I can kind of talk about, you know, who you are and what your experiences are. Can you, you know, send me a bio or something like that? So they sent me their bios and like halfway through, I'm like, see, now they're just showing up. <laughs> I ain't asked for all. they like, I'm like, really? Okay, you're qualified. You're qualified. I'm talking about, you know, I, I, and then it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm president of this affiliate of the national chapter of this and I chair this committee. And I'm like, okay, okay. Turn the file hose off. I get it. <laughs> and on top of that, I'm going to just slip this in there. They are women doing the thing. Yeah. So give God some praise for that. <laughs> now, family, my goal is to educate us. It is just that simple. It shouldn't be overly complicated. We're not going to, we're not talking about the body and other details to instill fear or anything like that. It's just information you need to know. Amen. To that end, though, let me be clear and upfront some, about this session. Hear me clearly. The content of this session is intended for general information purposes only. It is not designed to provide listeners with any medical advice, diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got to tell folk. Uh-uh. Pastor told me to take vitamin C. No, I didn't. But let me finish. 
individuals with health concerns should always consult their primary care provider for professional medical advice. Medical advice, medications, or treatments. We are not promoting anyone's individual practice programs, agendas, particular treatments, healthcare programs, providers, hospitals, or medical centers. The medical views expressed, if any, by this panel, including myself, are just that, our personal views. Can I get an amen? amen. Mm, thank you, Shama. Okay. Doctors, and I'll just refer to you as other doctors or Dr. Stephanie or Dr. Tony. You know, I want to open up this discussion by going to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about the body of Christ, but the way it describes the body, kind of the literary words that it uses, are so rich that I feel that it's the perfect place to begin. It reads like this. And guys, these are going to be out of, out of the Message Bible, verses 12, 14, 18, and 20, and verse 27 out of the King James Version. They read this way. You can easily enough see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body, exactly the same with Christ. I want you to think about how, it, how all of this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. What we have is one body with many parts each its proper size and its proper place, in its proper place. No part is important on its own. In verse 27 in the King James, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Family, we have a lot of parts in our body and we're gonna call them parts in particular. And God has arranged those parts in our bodies so that they all function and orchestrate together to accomplish something that helps this body work the way it should. So I'm going to turn to you now, uh, Dr. Stephanie and Dr. Tony. I know prior to today we've discussed just having you enlighten us about these parts of our body and just sharing some details. In addition to that, although we recognize completely that our desire is to walk in divine health, some find their bodies not necessarily operating as God may have intended in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Therefore, I've also asked that you talk about some of the conditions that one may hear either during their checkup or just hanging out with family. That being said, please share some things with us. So we're going to talk about, <laughs> not used to this, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the structure of the body. 
Um, and the structure of the body, God is amazing. Um, he's not only an electrician, because we've got an electrical system going through. We've got structures that work together to cause other things to happen. It's just a miracle. And so my role is to kind of go through the structure of the human body and throw out some physiology stuff, just a little bit, um, just to make you more aware of the diseases. And so then Dr. Stephanie is going to talk about, you know, common diseases and other things too. Okay. We're ready. You ready for your presentation? I'm ready. She's ready. Okay. So I'm not one for sitting down, <laughs> especially when I'm lecturing. So I usually walk around and I call on students. I see some of my students now. I won't call nervous, but um, I usually call on students and keep them engaged. Now I get a little excited, not you know, just because I got this knowledge stuff, but because I want students to stay excited, excited about what they're learning, excited to go out and to help some other people learn about their bodies too. So basically when we talk about the human body, um, there are a lot of chemicals in the human body. So as we talk about the structure, how things are made, we have to start out with the chemical makeup of the body. So there are a lot of um, elements and, and different chemicals that are playing a role in everything that happens in the body. So now these chemicals go on and they develop what we call the cell. And so the cell is important because the cell now can actually show us or function in letting, letting the body do some other things. And then the cells come together and the cells make tissues and the tissues make the organs and we're going to talk about some of these organs and the organs make the organ system. So when these organs act together, when they do about the same thing, they're actually going to form these organ systems. And then the organ system actually develops into the human body. Next slide, please. And so these are the organ systems. Um, we're going to cover a couple of these. Unfortunately, we don't have time to cover them all, but we're going to uh, hit on the top systems that actually affect our bodies in many different ways. Next slide, please. So the first system we're going to talk about is the cardiovascular system. Next slide, please. So it, this is kind of showing you just where the heart sits in the body. And the heart is a part of the cardiovascular system along with blood vessels, you know, arteries and veins and all these things that actually allow for blood to flow through the heart. The heart itself is the pumping mechanism to get stuff to go through the body. So I want all of you to take your fist, right fist. I want you to put it over the left side of your chest. That is about the size of your heart. Okay? Next slide, please. So this is just showing you some, <laughs> I have these pictures in my office. My, um, my office mate is actually a history teacher, so I have to get permission to put stuff up because, you know, sometimes she gets a little upset about this stuff. But um, this is the front of the heart and the back of the heart. So if you notice, there are a lot of blood vessels, these red and blue um, things that you see up here, those are blood vessels. They, they go to the heart, provide oxygen, as well as other parts of the body that we talk about. There are some big, big vessels. Anytime you see blue, that's blood that has given its tissues some oxygen. And so that blood has to come back to the heart in order to go to the lungs in order to get more oxygen and nutrients to go back out to the body again. So the cardiovascular system is actually a closed system. So it starts in the heart, goes out to the body, and then it comes back to the heart. 
And so these are just some hormones, and these hormones are chemicals that cause things to happen. For, for instance, that first one that you see up there is called ANF, or atrial natriuretic factor. And it actually, when the blood pressures are low, it's released. And so when it's released, it causes stuff to happen within the body in order to bring those blood pressures back to normal. And then these other things are chemicals that are released by the heart. So anytime the heart gets damaged, some of these things will show up. And they do blood tests to look for these things. And then that last one down there, that myoglobin, that's the one that carries the oxygen. Carries the oxygen to the heart and then, then to other parts of the body. Next slide, please. So this is the heart. This is the inside of the heart. So if you think of it as a square, and you put a cross in the square, it, you, now you have four different parts. The upper parts are called atria, the lower parts are called ventricles. And so the atria have certain features about them to allow for blood to come into that area and then go out from that area. And the ventricles have features that allows for blood to come into that area, stay in that area, and then go out to where it needs to go. So if you notice, there's some things in here. So these are valves, and often you hear about people with valvular disease. So these are the, the valves that we're talking about. And then there's some, some finger-like extensions that go down to some muscles inside the ventricles, and those actually will pull on that valve as blood enters here, pull on that valve to prevent it from backflowing. So when it doesn't work, the valve doesn't work, then blood goes back and forth, and that's not what the heart's supposed to do. Next slide, please. And so there's a current, there's electrical current going through the heart, and this electrical current is actually caused by positive and negative charged um, particles. And so those positive and negative charged particles actually allows for stimulation of the heart. It starts right back here in the right upper part of the heart, that's called the right atrium. And that stimulation is called the pacemaker of the heart. So some of, sometimes you hear about people getting pacemakers. It's when this valve doesn't work or this, um, this node doesn't work. So that SA node then will send information to other parts and eventually it's going to get down to the ventricles. So anytime there's stimulation, we call that systole. Anytime there's relaxation, we call that diastole. So anytime a current goes to the heart, that part of the heart, it's going to stimulate it. It's going to increase pressure. It's going to force blood from that part of the heart to go to another part of the heart. And so the diagram down below is showing you when stimulation occurs and then how it takes it to other parts of the body, or excuse me, other parts of the heart. And eventually, we're able to look at this and look at the electrical current through the heart to make sure it's right by doing what we call an EKG. And that EKG actually represents stimulation, relaxation, stimulation, and relaxation throughout the heart. Next slide, please. So this stimulation and relaxation in the heart allows for the heart, the blood to flow through the heart. Anytime there's stimulation, there's increased pressure, it's going to force blood from that area of the heart to another area. The areas that are relaxed, diastole, those are the areas that are going to fill. So sometimes when you hear about blood pressures, you hear about systolic and diastolic. Systolic is the contraction of the heart, particularly the ventricles. Diastole or diastolic blood pressure, pressure um, refers to the heart relaxing. 
So those numbers have to be right in order for the heart to fill and then the, in order for the heart to push the blood out to other parts of the body. So again, we're talking about our square with the cross in, in between. And we can see how the, the blue is showing you blood that doesn't have oxygen anymore. The red is showing you blood with oxygen. So that blood is going to come into the heart, and then it's going to be pushed out to the rest of the body. Next slide. So this is um, all the, these are all the parts of the body, all these arteries and veins that blood is being pushed out to in order for oxygen to get to tissues because the tissues need oxygen in order for them to function. Next slide. Thank you. Good morning, church family. I'm so glad to be here today to talk to you all. Um, I feel it's a large privilege that I have to be able to talk to people daily to, to share all the wonders that God has provided with our, our bodies. Um, Dr. Tony elaborately showed you how intricate the heart is, right? It's a, it's a big pump in essence. And so everything works by divine intervention. So I want to be able to share with you what can we do to take care of this pump, um, it's, it does so much, and we don't want it failing on us, right? It has to supply our bodies. It has to supply other organs. It has to get us through a lifetime. So basic things we can do to protect this pump is exercise. And I want to give you things that, as we mentioned in this morning's prayer, that you can walk out the door with and be doing better with every day. Exercise, um, our goal is about 150 minutes a week. And that may sound a lot, and it's not to overwhelm you. You can work at it at paces and take it in small amounts. Um, and exercise can be anything, anything that gets your heart pumping for a sustained period of time. Walking counts. Um, we have pedometers now on our phones and, and the Fitbits and all that. Put it to use. You know, you're, you're recording how much you're walking. Um, that 150 doesn't have to be, obviously, in one sitting. It could be 10 minutes walking from work to the, the entrance to the office. It could be taking the stairs more than using the elevator. It could be joining a favorite dance class. It could be swimming. It could be playing with your kids outside. So exercise is the number one thing you can do to protect that important pump. Second thing you can do is following a good diet. So diet that is low in cholesterol. Um, we probably hear our doctors talk about that. Pastor Benjamin mentioned that this morning. The reason we talk about cholesterol so much is when cholesterol is elevated, it leads to plaque formation. And the vessels that Dr. Tony showed you on the picture can't pump, can't supply the body with blood if it's filled with plaque. So that's almost like oil or sludge that keeps the body from doing its job. So knowing what your cholesterol numbers are are very important. Following a low-fat diet, not a lot of fried foods, um, lots of uh, fresh food, fruits and vegetables are very important. Um, sodium is also important. We want to do a low-sodium diet, so not just table salt, but foods that are processed and microwaved and quick. Anything that's not whole food probably has a lot of sodium. I know we're all busy. I'm very busy, so I try to mind how much salt I'm having in a day. But the reason you want to pay attention to sodium is it elevates your blood pressure. And if you remember Dr. Tony's diagram, she talked about the heart pumping in systole, and diastole. You need your pump to function in a low stress state. So if the systolic reading, which is the top blood pressure, is over 130, 
that is meaning that heart or that pump is forced to work a little bit harder. And if the bottom number is over about 80, that means that pump is working a little bit harder. So exercise, low fat diet, low sodium diet can help keep the heart running smoothly. So that's pretty much the major things that you can do to take care of your heart as a pump. So the next, the next system is the digestive system. And the digestive system has a lot of those chemicals also that help the body to function. So as we eat things, these things are going to be broken down into the fuel that the body needs, into the chemicals that the body needs. And so these chemicals uh, allow for um, food to be digested all along the digestive system. Next slide, please. So this is showing you the digestive system, all the components, all the organs that make, that work alike, that are part of the digestive system. The digestive system itself, believe it or not, is about nine meters or 30, um, 30 feet. And so it starts in the mouth and then it goes down through these muscular organs or now called organs too, but muscular parts of the digestive system, the esophagus. From the esophagus, it goes down to the stomach, sorry, I don't want to neglect anybody. They'll be standing over there. All right. So, so the esophagus goes down to the stomach, and then the stomach takes it to the small intestines. The small intestines, it then goes to the large intestines, and then eventually it's going to go out. So as we take the food in, there's some chemicals in the mouth. Those chemicals in the mouth start to break down stuff. So it starts to break down sugars, it starts to break down fats. And then it continues, and as it goes in the stomach, there are a lot of chemicals in there. They're going to break down some other stuff. And eventually the liver, which is going to play a part in metabolism or breaking down this stuff, actually allows for the food that we eat to turn into all the things that are going to be reabsorbed back into the body for us to utilize. <clears throat> so we talk about the um, intestines. The intestines, the small intestines, absorb most of the stuff that we need. Anything that we don't need, then we're going to secrete it or send it to another part of the body, to the intestines. And once it gets to the intestine, the large intestines, then most of the time that's stuff that we don't even need. And so it's going to be released from the body as a waste product. We also have the pancreas. Now we always know about the pancreas and its function as far as its endocrine function. The endocrine function is the pancreas making insulin, right? And so that helps to break down sugar. But it also has an exocrine function where it will also secrete some of those chemicals to help break down that food that we eat and turn it into the nutrients or the fuel or the chemicals that we need in order for the body to function, okay? Thank you. So there's a, a host of diseases or conditions that can affect our digestive system. So in an effort to try to help that, that's part of our body work its best, it, it still goes to diet. Um, the primary organ, our number three that we talked about was our stomach. So I know we say stomach, but it's actually that organ on the left upper quadrant, almost the size of the heart too, um, labeled number three. So this is probably a, a large portion of where a lot of us have symptoms. You can have heartburn, gastroesophageal reflux. Um, those are conditions where 
the stomach is making extra acid. The stomach already makes acid to help digest food with enzymes, as Dr. Tony mentioned. But if we're adding extra acid to our diet, it can cause some dysfunction of the stomach. So in an effort to follow as well-rounded of a diet as possible, if you're starting to notice you're having more stomach issues, heartburn, burping, indigestion, it could be that there's overproduction of acid in your stomach. Um, foods that are high in acid that you may want to start trying to work on reducing would be tomato-based things. Those tend to be very high in acid. Um, citrus, um, that would be from oranges and grapefruit, um, pineapple. Doesn't mean you can't have these things, but you want to have them in moderation, especially if you're noticing, boy, I, I think I'm having some of these symptoms. Um, caffeine. Caffeine is a, is a highly acidic agent. It can increase the acid in our stomach and increase our risk for um, gastritis, heartburn, that sort of stuff. The reason we encourage you to, to try to do these things is like anything, when something's over-functioning or over-producing, problems can result. Problems with the stomach, such as ulcers, can happen. So it's literally the stomach has a hole in it. So from so much acid production, um, there's inflammation and, and possibly even a through and through hole in the stomach. You can also have acid that backtracks up the esophagus, which is number two there. And if that acid keeps coming up the esophagus over a period of time, it increases your risk for precancerous cells. So some people have to get endoscopy or get tests where they check the stomach on a periodic basis. The main reason in having that done is to be mindful or be aware if there's any precancerous changes happening. Um, the other organ that we sometimes see some, some conditions or medical problems with is number seven. That's our liver. Um, liver is there to filter waste, filter cells that are old or died, to filter our foods or products that we take in, vitamins. If there's dysfunction in the liver, the first place we sometimes see it in symptoms. Um, you may hear people say jaundice. That's almost that yellow appearance. Sometimes people can have yellowing of the eyes or the skin can be a yellow appearance, that's when the liver is faced with a lot of bilirubin or bile to break down. Sometimes it's benign, like in babies. We may have babies or have family members that were jaundiced and they have to be under a UV light for a while. That's not usually a problem in babies. But as adults, if there's elevated bilirubin or bile in our systems, it could be a, a manifestation of some sort of disease. Um, so in that system, is mainly being mindful of various symptoms. Um, the last one I'll, I'll briefly talk about is our pancreas. Since there's a lot of dysfunction that can happen there, um, diabetes is one, like Dr. Tony talked about. When we start having problems with the pancreas, it doesn't make insulin the way it should. And so we probably all have a family member or friend who's dealing with diabetes. It's because the insulin function in the pancreas is no longer working well. Insulin is what regulates our glucose levels. It keeps our blood sugars around 100 is a good number. Now we're all starting to talk about prediabetes. So you probably have heard your doctors talk about that. If you get to go over lab work periodically, we're trying to encourage prevention. And if we see these blood sugars getting even two or three points above that 100, it's important to bring it to your attention because over time, the pancreas can wear out and can become diabetic. Yes. I want to inject something because as a body of believers, many times we get accustomed to coming to, to church and we get accustomed to hearing someone read us a particular scripture. 
what we're attempting to do is take it one step beyond and give you something that you can apply directly to your life. When I began looking at what should we do here for this service, when I, when it, the beginning origin, the only thing that kept ringing true to me is there are times that God's people would be better off with having the information needed to be able to put their hands to work to get it done. And when I think about it, you know, there's a, there's a scripture in the book of Romans that when it talks about people uh, going to God, that this says, but who would they know to go to without a preacher? If, if you were to read that in the Message Bible, I like the way it reads. It reads this way. But how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if, no, if nobody tells them? And how is anyone going to tell them unless someone is sent to them? Family, as I mentioned before, we can lay hands all day. But if nobody tells you that you are doing this wrong in practice and what you're doing wrong is directly opposed to what you're praying for, then they're not doing it justice. Because God is Able, we said that without a doubt. God is a healer, Amen. without a doubt. Amen. But God also expects us to be responsible. Amen. Yes, if you tread over serpents and scorpions, he can be there to make sure to protect you and that you stay good, but not if you tread on them on purpose. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put God to the test. Why you want to roll a dice like that? I like to give origin and thought to what happens because a lot of times it's not, it's not thought that it's been considered on a spiritual level. But it has been. The spiritual part of it is that there are some things that we do in practice that go directly against what we're praying for spiritually. And in asking for divine intervention, that should be the latter part of doing our part to hopefully ensure we never have to ask for that or make that prayer to begin with. I apologize. Tony, go ahead. All right. Next slide, please. So the next system we're going to talk about is the nervous system. The nervous system is actually the electrical current that's going to go through the heart. And that current is very important. Um, it allows us to receive stimuli, send information from one part of the body to the other part of the body. Next slide, please. And again, there are chemicals that are going to be made. And these chemicals are going to be released by these cells that are called neurons. Marcus, come on up front, sir. 
Yes, you, uh-huh, mm -hmm. come on, Jordan, yes. So these neurons actually make connections, and they, once they get stimulated, they're gonna send information from one area, yes, you, <laughs> from one area to the next. So I'm gonna talk to them a second, okay? As she gives them instruction, you know, I will tell you that uh, one of the things that I ask, and I'll ask them later, is, you know, there are things, for example, that, hey, you, you might be told that this kind of thing kind of runs in your family. You know what I'm saying? But just because it ran in your family don't mean it not to keep running through your family. Huh? <laughs> But we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So these neurons, they are called the nerve cell. So every part of the nervous system has these neurons. And so these are my neurons up front. And so when one neuron gets excited or gets stimulated, he's going to touch another one and another one. And all of them are going to, <laughs> going to be excited. Thank you, guys. That was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so that's how, that's how information is carried throughout the body, through these neurons. Next slide, please. So the nervous system consists of the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system. The central nervous system is where we kind of um, interpret all the stuff that comes into our bodies, whether it's coming from the outside, external stimuli, or from the inside, internal stimuli. So the central nervous system consists of the brain and the spinal cord. And then there's the peripheral nervous system, and the peripheral nervous system is made up of cranial nerves and spinal nerves. Next slide, please. And so when we talk about the brain, each part of the brain has a different function. And so when something happens, if there's not enough blood going to one part, if they have a stroke or anything happens to um, the blood supply, you know, that oxygen that we talked about, going to one part of the body, they're not going to be able to do certain things. So there's a part right in the front that's called the frontal lobe. That's the one that has to do with speaking and reasoning and emotions. And then there is the parietal lobe. The parietal lobe is on the side. That's the one that allows us to think to analyze stuff. I always tell my students to say, oh, I'm so glad I'm in Dr. Jones's class. This is wonderful, you know? So that's the part of that parietal lobe. <laughs> and then the occipital lobe has to do with um, vision. So when we see, information's gonna go to that part of the brain to tell us what to do. And then there's the temporal lobe, and the temporal lobe has to do with our, our, our hearing, allowing us to hear, and also speech. And then there's the part in the very back that's called the cerebellum. The cerebellum has to do with balance. So it allows us to, to balance, to walk um, straight, to stand up straight, all those things. Okay, next slide, please. And so all this information, all those neurons from the peripheral nervous system, they go in through cranial nerves and spinal nerves. They're gonna go into the spinal cord. Now this picture that you're seeing here, the tan part is the vertebral column. So in the very back, your back, running along the back is the vertebral column. And it has different parts. And that part that's sticking straight up, this part up here, if you run your fingers down your back, you actually feel that. That's called the spinous process. 
And so inside the vertebral column, inside the bone, is the actual spinal cord. And so information, those neurons, are going to allow for information to get into the spinal cord. Next slide, please. And so this is kind of showing you. Um, I always like to think about coffee, because usually I don't drink a lot of coffee, but I do drink it once in a while in the morning when I'm tired. And so I'll talk about coffee for my students. I'll say I see some coffee, and there's going to be a, a cranial nerve that's going to allow me to smell that coffee. So I know there's coffee there, right? And then that information through a neuron is going to go into my spinal cord. It's going to up, go up to my brain. It's going to actually tell me what I'm smelling and tell me what to do with what I'm smelling. So that information then comes back down to the spinal cord and it goes out and it's going to go out to an area that's called an effector. And in the case of me smelling coffee, it goes out to the effector, which would be my arm. And I'm always talking about my students having coffee. And I go over and I pretend like I'm going to drink it. Okay, I get really dirty looks, but that's okay. All right? But that is this, the neurons and how they carry information throughout the body. Next slide. And so there are cranial nerves. There are spinal nerves. They're all part of the peripheral nervous system. And all of these cranial nerves and spinal nerves are actually going to innervate or they're going to go to muscles or parts of the body to stimulate them to allow for them to respond to stimuli, and then that information goes to the brain and tells us what to do. Either internal, so sometimes when the bladder fills up, there's a, a reflex that's going to go through these neurons to the spinal cord up to the brain and tell us the bladder is full, and then information comes back down, and it goes to a sphincter or an area that will tell us what to do with that, and that's usually, you know, to go to the bathroom, okay? Next slide, please. Oh, okay, we're good. <laughs> so in general, when we're talking about the brain and the, the nerve system, we have a saying, what's good for the heart is good for the brain and nervous system. So the same things we talked about, having low blood pressures, low cholesterol, um, following a well-balanced diet keeps our brain healthy the way it should. Um, if there's any abnormalities in blood pressure or elevations in cholesterol, then some of the, the things that we can see happen with the brain primarily is stroke. So when we hear people talk about stroke, it's because there was a decrease in the blood flow that Dr. Tony showed us on her initial slides that resulted in some dying off of tissue in a portion of the brain. And as you see, each portion of the brain has very specific functions. That's why if you've heard of people having strokes, their deficit or what they're left with, so to say, is varied, right? Some people may have something as limited as, well, I can't smell since I had the stroke, or I can't see, or I lost part of my vision in an eye, or I can't move my extremity. So before it even gets to that point, we want to make sure we're monitoring the factors we talked about that are similar to the heart. Um, there's a cousin to a, a stroke called a TIA. You may have heard of that. That's, they call it mini-stroke or transient ischemic attack. That's symptoms that are similar to a stroke, but they go away in 24 hours. So I always like to say that's a warning sign, right? You, didn't, you, you prayerfully and happily weren't left with deficits that we talked about, but it's time to, to get moving. It's time to do better, right? So if the blood pressure is not well controlled, we get it better controlled. 
A lot of the times, even if the cholesterol is not significantly high, if the person had a TIA, you may see us suggest blood uh, cholesterol medicines. So a lot of people will ask me, well, why do I have to do that? My number's not that high. It's because we have this warning from the body, so we have to take it seriously. And then also, you've got the, the ability to make sure your blood pressures are even lower, which we talked about those criteria early. Um, last of all, with the nervous system, and as the, the student showed us just recently, the nerves have to send messages to our body. So you also have to make sure your vitamin levels are appropriate. Doesn't mean you have to necessarily take a lot of different vitamins, but if you have vitamin deficiencies, specifically like B12, that can affect our, our nerve function. Um, other B vitamins, thiamine, those are things that just with routine blood tests can be determined. <laughs> so the next system I'm going to talk about is the respiratory system. Next slide, please. So the respiratory system, when we talk about the respiratory system, there's a part of it that's called the upper respiratory tract. And so we're talking about the nasal cavity, the oral cavity, going down to the trachea. And then there's the lower respiratory tract. And the lower respiratory tract starts at the trachea, and it goes all the way into the lungs. So people, when they usually have a lower respiratory tract infection, they're really sick. We're talking about things like pneumonia. Next slide, please. And so the sinuses are another part of the upper respiratory tract. And so a lot of people sometimes have sinus infections. So there's some up here. Those are called frontal sinuses associated with the bone. And then there's some right above the nose or on the side of the nose. Those are the maxillary sinuses. And so those are the most, the most common areas or most common sinuses that are infected. There are many more sinuses in the skull. Well, next slide. And so again, this is just showing you how you know, the tissues are going to make the organs. The tissues have these finger-like projections that we see. Let's see if I can do this. Up, up top, very top. I'm not that tall. Um, but those finger-like projections are important. Those are called cilia. And so the cilia, um, along with the mucus that's in the respiratory tract, actually traps things as it gets into the respiratory tract. And so it traps those things, and the idea is for these cilia to work so they can trap things to get into our respiratory system and take it to the stomach, and the acids in the stomach actually destroy a lot of the disease-causing organisms that get into the body. But when these cilia don't work, one reason is smoking. Um, smoking destroys these cilia, and so these people with, with, um, that smoke, because they destroy the cilia, they get other diseases. And so as you can see here, the um, air comes in through the nose, or it can come in through the mouth, and then it goes down through this trachea, and then the trachea divides, and it's going to divide even more and more and more and more as it gets into the lungs, and then it's going to be the place where oxygen is going to be exchanged. So that tissue, remember we talked about the heart and how blood that doesn't have oxygen is going to have to go to the lungs. Well, this is where, in the smaller areas, is where the oxygen is given back to the blood. So now that blood can take it back out to the body again. Next slide. And so this is just showing you the entire respiratory system, including the lungs now. And the lungs are these spongy type of, uh, has the spongy type of consistency to allow for air to enter and for it to, you know, leave. So inspiration and expiration. 
And so this is kind of showing you the breakdown of the trachea as it comes down. And now we can see it as it goes all the way in here. And microscopically, we have these little things that are called alveoli, and that's where the oxygen is exchanged. Next slide. And so a lot of times when we um, learn about the lungs and how they work, we also learn the physiology. And so the lungs are going to take in air. We call that volume. And that volume can be measured. And we have these instruments that are called spirometers. And these spirometers actually take in and allows us to look at different volumes of air that, should be, that the lungs should be able to take in and to hold and eventually to give off or when we um, breathe out. So there is a total lung capacity. That means the total amount of air that the, the, the um, excuse me, lungs can hold. In an average size female, it's about four to five liters. So if we had liter bottles of soda, if we had four of them, that's how much oxygen or the volume of oxygen the lung could hold in an average size female. If we had a male, we take about five of those one liter bottles and we and that is telling us or showing us how much volume the lungs can hold in an average size male. Next slide. Dr. Stephanie. So things we can do to keep our respiratory system working its best. Um, avoiding irritants. So the, the respiratory system is highly sensitive to things that it can't tolerate. So if you've got allergies to pollen in particular, now we're in fall ragweed system, uh, uh, season, that, that can cause irritation to the pulmonary or respiratory system. High heavy chemicals and fumes, so if you're cleaning or you work in areas where there's, there's lots of um, dust or strong fragrances or scents, you may need to wear masks. Um, that can cause some dysfunction of the respiratory system. Most importantly, as Dr. Tony mentioned, not smoking. Um, nicotine or tobacco, that's why we, we encourage to, to try to quit smoking because it destroys the cilia, it increases your risk for infection, um, definitely increases your risk for cancers, but most importantly, just respiratory infections. Um, when there's dysfunction in the respiratory system, then you can get infections of varied types primarily, um, which reveal themselves by symptoms of shortness of breath, coughing, runny nose, and it could be a variety of things. Certainly when things last for a prolonged period of time, it's good to talk to a physician. Um, sometimes things could be as simple as a common cold. I know people always ask, how do I know if it's colds or allergies or pneumonia? Cold is usually something short-lived. It should be gone in about five days in general. Um, Low-grade temperature perhaps, maybe some coughing. Doesn't usually require antibiotics, um, maybe things to help the symptoms, but it goes away. Um, if you're coughing or your fever's getting higher, then that's where we're in flu season now. We need to be mindful of, of influenza, which could be deadly. So depending on your needs, your personal history, we can do flu vaccines, but that's important when you start noticing temperatures are lasting longer than, than typical, that would be a reason to get medical um, attention. When Dr. Tony was showing you the lower respiratory tract, so there's the upper and the lower, the lower, as she said, can increase your risk for bronchitis, or that's a place we see bronchitis and pneumonia. Think of pneumonia as a prolonged infection that is similar to bronchitis, but now there's a whole section of the lung that's filled with infection. That usually does require antibiotics and clues that that could be happening to you would be coughing and, and fever. And sometimes it's hard to sort that out from the flu, so that's where it would be important to get medical attention. 
And then lastly of all, we see diseases like asthma and COPD that can affect the cilia and those volumes we were talking about. When a person has asthma, the airways tighten up, sometimes spontaneously, sometimes from infection, and the person needs inhalers to help them breathe. Some people are born with asthma. Some people acquire asthma from allergies. And COPD can do the similar thing, um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. We see that primarily in smokers, but sometimes people who were exposed to prolonged chemicals, depending on the type of work they did, again, they can have trouble with breathing, shortness of breath, inhalers can help improve that as well. All right, here we go. So in the next system we're going to talk about is the urinary system. And most of you um, know or know about the kidneys and stuff. Next slide, please. Um, it actually consists of the kidneys. Leaving from the kidneys are the ureters, and the ureters go down to the bladder, and then the bladder excretes it through the uh, urethra. Next slide, please. And so the kidney, the kidney also releases a lot of hormones. And so these hormones are important for maintaining blood pressures. Renin is one of those. And then erythropoietin, it actually stimulates the body to make more red blood cells when we don't have enough oxygen. And then there's also uh, calcitrol, which has to do with calcium levels. So the kidney is pretty complex. It has an outer part that's called the cortex, an inner part that's called the medulla. And then it makes urine. That's its purpose. And once it makes the urine, it sends it down through this ureter. And then from that ureter, it goes down into the bladder where it's going to be stored. And again, remember I talked about the nervous system. The nervous system, once the bladder gets full, it's going to send information to let us know that the bladder is full so we can empty it. Next slide. So one important thing I talked about with the blood, with um, the urinary system, the kidney especially, when blood pressures are low, the normal response is for the kidney to release a chemical, and that chemical is shown here is called renin. And so, at the same time, when the blood pressures are low, the liver is going to release another chemical, and that chemical is called angiotensinogen. And so the renin is going to act on the angiotensinogen to turn it into something active that can actually help to raise those blood pressures. So the lung is also going to release another chemical that's called angiotensin-converting enzyme that's going to change that angiotensin-1 into angiotensin-2. And so that angiotensin-2, that chemical, is the one that does all these things to increase our blood pressures. It causes the blood vessels to constrict. And from physics, you know, anytime there's constriction or decreased diameter, it's going to increase pressures. It's going to cause us to drink more. Um, that increases blood volume and therefore increased blood pressures. Now, I show you this slide because in African Americans, there are some people who release too much renin. And so as a result of that, they're going to give them a medication that will block this step right here. Okay? Next slide, please. And so each of the kidneys also has this important structure in it, this unit that's called a nephron. And the nephron is very important in the kidney because the kidney's function is also to reabsorb stuff that the body needs. It's also important because it helps to maintain a normal pH. And so different parts of this nephron actually filter stuff, it reabsorbs stuff, and then it also, the stuff we don't need, it's going to excrete it, and it concentrates it and this last part down here, the collecting duct, and that's then that urine formation that's going to go down into the ureters and down into the bladder. 
Next slide. And I just threw this in here because the nephron is very important in the body. If we regulate how stuff um, is reabsorbed or secreted from the nephron, we can actually regulate how much fluid is in the body if we have too much fluid. So different parts of this nephron, there are drugs that act on different parts of this nephron in order to get rid of excessive fluid in the body. Next slide. And then this is just showing you the last part that we're talking about. So it goes from the ureters, from that kidney down into the bladder. And this is just showing you what the bladder looks like. It is a muscular organ. It has these openings and a triangle that they call the trigone that will lead to or allow for urine to leave the body. And so this is the structure of the urinary system. Next slide. Thank you. So this organ um, may not have a lot of signs of dysfunction. It, it's almost like hypertension. It could be a, a silent disease. When we say silent disease, you may not have symptoms. You may not know. I know some people wonder, well, when my back hurts, is there something wrong with my kidneys? Not always. Um, things you can be doing to help keep your kidney function ideal. We always say try to get as much water as possible. Um, that amount varies from person to person. Some people say gallon, half gallon. Um, you just want to try to at least get a minimum of 48 ounces of water a day. Watch your caffeine balance in there because caffeine is a natural diuretic. So it can take away all the water that you've, you've taken in. So you have to make sure you balance both things. Um, conditions that can affect the urinary tract would be um, chronic kidney disease. That's usually after maybe there's been a disease process that's gone on for many years that's uncontrolled. You can get chronic kidney disease from having poorly controlled blood pressures. Um, some of the same things we talked about, diabetes. So this is an organ that we try to protect as best as possible by managing these, these conditions if they're happening. Um, for people who end up having to get dialysis, this is where the problem is happening. The kidney is not filtering the way it should. Um, ways that you can keep track of this, aside from being mindful if there's any changes in your urine pattern, would be just going in when you see your, your doctor yearly and getting a urinalysis. We're looking at how the kidney functions by assessing a lot of those enzymes and proteins that should not be there or should be there in lower amounts. And also you can get blood tests that look at if you've heard of something called a creatinine. That's the best way to, to assess the function of the, the kidney. Um, sometimes the kidney can also get stones. So you may hear people talk about kidney stones. That's where those tubes become blocked by a stone, literally. And they can be painful. It sounds like somebody has an <laughs> attestment to that. But they can be very painful. Um, those tubes are, are millimeters in diameter, so very small. So imagine it's like a piece of gravel that gets stuck in there. And it doesn't have to be a huge piece of gravel um, before pain happens and dysfunction. Um, some people maybe don't metabolize calcium very well if they have kidney stones. This is where gout could affect, affect somebody. You may have heard of gout. That's overproduction of something called uric acid, which is a breakdown of the body, and the crystals can form stones. So again, this is where water intake helps, being mindful of symptoms. That is not something everyone will have difficulty with. This is some place where in family histories it can run. Um, people may genetically not break down uric acid very well or may accumulate calcium more than um, average. So that definitely can be seen with pain and, and definitely just by checking your analysis, you can see those crystals in calcium in a routine urinalysis way before a person has symptoms. 
uh, Stephanie and Dr. Tony, before we let you go, I have a couple of just really brief questions I want to ask you and just give me your thoughts on those. You know, we've mentioned a couple times that there are some things that, you know, run in the family, ran in the family, and heredity, and we know that God is greater than heredity. What I want to know is when we hear those things, what are some of the things in the natural that we can do to help minimize the occurrence of some of those things? In particular, if they talk about blood pressure, you know, blood pressure is something that Mr. Smith has, did your, did your father have high blood pressure, you know, kind of thing? And diabetes, you know, I hear about those two a lot. What are some of the things that people can do to minimize the effect of those? I think first of all, being mindful and sharing it with your healthcare provider. Um, talking to your family members. A lot of times, culturally, we don't share what's happening in families, but if we can share with our children and relatives some of these things we can do sooner screening tests on, um, some things we can make recommendations of how often we need to see you. Um, a lot of it still goes back to my basic initial statement, which is lifestyle changes. So maintaining as best you can a healthy lifestyle of exercise, well-rounded diet, um, not abusing substances. I'm just taking good care of your body, regardless of if we, we have a family history or not. And then I guess secondly, just identifying it and making sure your healthcare team is aware because there may be some things we can offer that can prevent that from being a problem for you. I agree, and especially the health style or lifestyle, um, it should be healthy. You should be eating right. Um, things that you can't control, um, things that inherited, you, there's nothing you can do about it. The only thing you can do is face it, do some research. Um, research on whatever disease it is that runs in your family. And a lot of times when you do research, if you go to some of the medical sites, they'll also tell you the foods that you should take in or the things that you should avoid or some things to do. For instance, with Alzheimer's disease, it is, they, they are finding that that's hereditary. It affects the nervous system. But they're, pe they're telling people to do brain exercises like puzzles or going to school or anything that's going to keep the brain active. So during the research about whatever disease they tell you runs in your family once you find out, and then taking steps to avoid the things that you should be avoiding and making proper steps in the right direction, such as diet and all that too. I want to say one other thing. Um, when we know that there may be things that run in family, families, being willing to consider trials, clinical trials, sometimes in groups as patients of African descent, we're not always well represented in trials. So if there's drugs or interventions that can be offered, sometimes they mostly represent other populations or majority populations versus us. So that's certainly something that you can individually consider, but considering participating in trials and studies, it can help you and potentially generations to come as well. What about the relationship? You know, a good doctors want honest, open relationships with their, with their patients. I can tell you, like my mom, for example, uh, it's not uncommon for my mom to go and visit with her doctor and not be forthcoming with everything, and that makes it difficult. So what would you say to someone who may have that bent to go in and hide things that they may be feeling instead of being open and honest? Well, it definitely doesn't help us help you. So 
you know, I guess I can just encourage you to be as, as forthright as possible. Um, try to find a, a doctor, a provider that you feel you can relate to. You know, there's lots of us out there. If you don't feel it's the match on the first visit, it doesn't mean you don't go back to the doctor at all, right? Just like we look for our mates and family, and well, not family, but friends. You keep looking until you find the right match. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> we wish we could family, choose our we're family. Kind of stuck with them. I don't want that but, cousin no more. <laughs> but, but you know, keep looking for the right relationship, and um, and if that's still, you know, take some work coming in prepared with questions or things, um, at least some sort of list of important things. Not an overwhelming list because sometimes we've got limited time, but at least things that you know are important to you. Sometimes people will talk to the families and come up with what are the things we should talk about at the visit. Um, but just looking for the, the right match where we're people just like you all are. We have family just like everybody here. And so you know, trying to make sure you've got an approachable provider that you can share your concerns with. I agree. I agree that you have to find the right match. And sometimes um, I'm not saying all doctors are great because some of them are more focused on medicine instead of the person they're treating. Um, so you have to find the right match. And um, actually, talking about education, medical schools now are looking for medical students that have more. So they want medical students now that have a degree in philosophy or ethics or other things, too, because they realize that you, know, you need to have that patient, that bedside manner. You need to be able to communicate with your patients and on a level that they understand. You, know, you can't use all those words that you learned in medical school and expect your, your um, doctor or your patient to understand that stuff. So I believe in communication. Um, I believe, and that's why I'm in education too, is because I want to train the next couple, you know, the next generation of doctors that come out to make sure that they're, you know, addressing the right things and not just thinking about the medical side of things, but thinking about their patients too. Oh, and you know, the the final thing I want to ask you is, you know, I've heard, I've heard my wife mention it, and and it sounds like good advice, is that when we're on our way to get our checkup, for those of us who get checkups, okay? For, the, for those of us who do checkups, you know, one of the things there, a lot of times we go to get our checkups, we go in blind. Maybe there's something that we felt three months ago, but we didn't write it down. You know, and my wife's always trying to convince, like my mom, to, you know, mom, as you feel something, keep a journal, write it down, so that when you go get your checkup in six months, you're not trying to go from memory. Uh, the other thing that um, I've heard is that a lot of times there are people who will go and they'll get something, uh, some report, let's call it a report from a physician, and they don't realize that it's really in their right and they have the complete ability to get a second opinion if, if they so choose. And so if you could just briefly just touch on those, just going to get your checkup, being prepared with what you want to say, what you want to ask, being comfortable to ask questions when you're there, you know, that kind of stuff. and then. Uh, the, the the part about just making sure that you're you know that you're you can go and get a second opinion so that's important in in feeding off of that maybe keeping a, a medical binder so if you you go to the doctor regularly enough and have different tests and exams trying to keep them filed in a different place so or in one place so when you see a new provider you know it helps me when patients have as much information about what happened before I met them 
in those 15 minutes. So if you can, I mean, that's not always possible, but you know, with the advent of electronic medical records, legally, you have to be afforded a copy of everything that you're, you're, you've had done. And so whether you can interpret it or not, just making sure you have it so that when you see a provider or if you have a family member who has some medical knowledge, at least someone where you've got the, the documentation. So I'd say keeping a, a medical file would be important. Um, being mindful of anything that's not the same way it was the last time you were there and, and making a list, whether you think it's trivial or small, um, bring it to our attention. We can put it together and help you sort out that doesn't sound like a problem or that does sound like a problem. So not dismissing sim symptoms that may seem irrelevant to you. I agree. And I um, like to tell people, don't be scared. Um, if, you, if something's going on in your body, something that's not normal or you don't feel it's normal, don't be afraid to go to the doctor. Don't be afraid to get a checkup. Um, and I myself um, keep a journal, but I keep it in my phone. And so anywhere I go, I have it with me. And so any, anything that I want to ask the doctor when I go to the doctor or a, just a list of my medications, it's important to have that when you go to a provider or if you're going to a new provider, they always ask for this information. And I have a, you know, a copy of all or at least the report of everything that I've had done. So those kind of things are very important. And um, keeping them, everyone you know, has a smart device now, um, whether it's a flip phone or whatever it is, but you can still put that information in your phone so you can carry it with you. And even if there's an emergency and you have to go to the hospital or something and you can't right then, you know, remember everything that you need to know, you can pull it up on your phone and show it to the nurse or to the doctor um, so that they can look at what's gone on in your past and probably find out, you know, what's going on now. Give these wonderful doctors a big round of applause. Let me just share one more thing with you. And that is, you know, why this was so important to me. You know, I, I, I gave you one reason before, and I've never told this to anybody. Never. I've never told, I never even told this to Greta. But when I think about us as a family, I've shared with you that my father passed away in the year 2000, and that that was sort of, you know, I call it kind of traumatic for me, but I, I went internal with it. I discussed with God a lot of things. One of the things he told me, because I was in God's grill about how can you let this happen? This was my daddy. This was my man. This was my dude. We hung out together. This was my boss. This is, this is my father. This is, we got a great relationship. I was, if God had a grill, I was in it. I blurted out to God. How can you just let this happen? And God told me, how do you know I just let it happen? How do you know I didn't give your father a signal? How do you know? How do you know I didn't give him an ache? How do you know I didn't give him a heart palpitation? How do you know? what he might have not paid attention to. I had no answer for that. Whether or not it's the case, I don't know, but that enlightened me to if I can do anything to not permit people to walk around in bodies that they ignore, I was going to do it.
1 Corinthians 12, we read it already, verse 18. I have to turn there. Message Bible says, As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. He has created this body to operate like a well-oiled machine, but we are the stewards of it. So we ultimately had to get to this point. The point to where just like you know the ins and outs of your phone or your car or your favorite device, we refuse to let us remain ignorant about the very bodies that we live in. So I thank you for your time. I thank you for your attention. And if you would, for me, turn to our family members on stage and give a round of applause. What a wonderful, masterful job. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you. If you would like to help us further expand the vision, simply text the word GIVERTM to the number 41444 or visit us online at www.revealingtruth.org. Now remember, Jesus loves you.